Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in the um, study that we're doing, we're working through the New Testament together, pretty much a chapter at a time. And we've done the the book of Matthew. We've done the book of Mark. We're working through the book of John. We'll be in John chapter 9 today. When we're done with John, we're going to go and do Luke, and then we're going to do Acts right after Luke because they flow very nicely since the same guy wrote it. So uh, that's how we're uh, sort of attacking the Gospels. And, um, you know, Jesus has come and to introduce the kingdom of God. And all along the way, he's been confronted by the Pharisees. And I just want to keep going back, to because it's important, again, in, in what we're talking about in John 9, is this, this direct confrontation. Because the, Jesus has come so that people could know about having a relationship with God. And, and the problem is that over the last, in the, in the few hundred years leading up to it, it had gotten so bad that no, nobody really knew God anymore. Um, they, they talked sort of like they did, but they'd lost the love and the mercy and the grace of God. And they had replaced what God always intended um, for relationship with, these, with this rigid set of rules. And um, they, they'd missed the message. So when Jesus comes, he's introducing the message once again. And I've said this repeatedly, too. It is not about just writing off the Pharisees as a bunch of evil people. Because you can't, it's not that simple. Um, they, they started out as a group of people who um, really believed that what they were doing was right. And that by gathering together and putting in place the rules and all the things that they put in place, that they were protecting Judaism from the influence of the Greeks, which were really taking over everything at that point in history. And, and yet, over time, it, it morphed from being a good thing into something that wasn't good at all, which happens all the time. And um, we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, in John 7 and 8 and now in 9, really the theme through these three chapters in the book is, is the, uh, the light and, and the darkness. And in particular, as it refers to morality, and that the Pharisees um, believed they had a high morality, but their morality was based in darkness, in, in judgment and criticism. Jesus comes and, and demonstrates what God's morality, a morality based in the light and the truth looks like, and it's completely different. And, and this is where the conflict takes place. And where the struggle is. And so we always need to be aware, I think, always, and I've been saying this for the last year, we have to be careful that we don't fall into the traps of the Pharisees. Because it's the most normal, unfortunately, it's what normally happens. Is that people start with good intentions, but along the way, they pick up this legalistic morality, and they miss the grace of God, and as soon as you miss the grace of God, you lose relationship with God the way he intended it, and from there it all just goes south. And that, that any sort of faith system that, that causes people to become haters, something's wrong. It's just something you can look at. There's something that's gone astray. If the end result of a, of a, of a, of a faith situation is hate, something's, something's not right. And, so, um, and, and that's what's happened with the Pharisees. They've just become people that hate and, and they don't love anymore. And that's never what God intended. God's community was to be typified by love. Um, everything that he set in place was so that people could, could engage in community and they could love him and love others. 
and they lost it. And that's what Jesus has come to set in place, uh, you know, uh, uh, among other things. I mean, he's going to ultimately he's come so he can go to the cross and straighten it out. But in his ministry time, what he's putting in are the seeds of the kingdom, um, which will then grow from there. And yet the, the same problem of Phariseeism will, will continue to stick its head up, um, I guess, as long as the church exists. We'll have to deal with it. So that's kind of where we're at. And, and we're, we've been looking at light and darkness. And I want to pick up the action in John chapter 9. Verse 1, um, 41 verses, I'm going to read them to you, or you can, and hopefully you'll follow along there in your bulletin, or um, you can read along in your Bibles if you have your Bibles. It actually all fit, I believe, on the inside, so uh, you can just open it up and, and read along. I need to wear my glasses because otherwise about 10 verses in, it all blurs, and then I'm guessing at words, as some of you can relate. You young ones can't yet, but just wait. I shouldn't put that on you. It's like a curse. Never mind. Maybe you'll never have to deal with it. So you're good. Enjoy. As he went along, verse 1, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. I love that. And as I've said before, you better be really sure it's God speaking to you if you're led to do this with anyone. Someone comes to you for prayer... And if your response involves spitting in any way, you better have some results happening very quickly. (laughs) Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. I I think that's funny too. Sorry. They can't figure it out. So they go back to the poor guy that just minding his own business. Got the mud pie healing. Okay. The man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. (laughs) Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. How he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. 
The parents didn't want to step in the, the mess. Remember, John uses the term Jews to mean Pharisees, religious leaders. They're all interchangeable. Okay. That is why the parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. This had to make the Pharisees very unhappy. (laughs) Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? You'd have liked this guy, I think, the blind guy that was healed. Then they hurled insults at him, nice guys, and said, You're this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And blessed be the word of the Lord. All right, interesting chapter, John 9. Um, one of my favorites. And uh, let's just take a few minutes and, and talk about what I would consider the highlights. Now, we're, remember in John 7, 8, 9, the, the underlying theme has been light and darkness. And that Jesus is the light of the world and that he's introducing a morality based on light and truth that, that encompasses grace. In, in a polar opposite to that is the morality the Pharisees have imposed by rule and regulation, which is grounded in darkness and which doesn't bring life. And, and so, and we've seen these two things at work in these last two chapters in some of the other encounters that we've had. And it's in this tension now that, that enter into the, the dialogue comes the man born blind. Now, a fascinating question is asked by the disciples because, see, they had been under this um, sort of Pharisaical teaching of this morality, their lives. And and so it had definitely impacted the way that they saw the world. And and they were struggling with the issue. And so when they come across this man born blind, the question is, it's fascinating. Well, he's blind. Who sinned? This man or his parents? And in effect, what the question is, is, well, this guy's got a problem. And obviously somebody sinned. Is this because of some sin this guy is going to commit at some point in his life? Or is this because something from the past that his parents did as it carried on to him? Now, what you have to see in this whole process, because this impacts our thinking as well. We often 
as the Pharisees did. See, what the Pharisees did was they had this idea of, um, they knew that God was moral. And so from that, they, they extrapolated the, this thought was that if, if anything bad ever happened in your life, if you were the victim of any sort of personal disaster, it had to be a punishment from God. And conversely, if you were prosperous, that was a blessing from God. Now, unfortunately, that same thought still permeates today because a lot of times that's what people think. If something bad happens, God must be mad at them. And if something good happens, God must be happy with them. But see, that's not how God operates. Um, that's, that's us trying to project onto God. And, and certainly God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, but, but we balance into that equation that we live in a fallen world on a broken planet. And bad things happen to people who have no real, for no real reason other than you live here. And this ain't heaven. This ain't it. This isn't as good as it gets. And, and, you know, Jesus promises us trouble living here. And it's not a sign that we're in trouble with God. It's not a sign that we've done something wrong. It's, it's a part of living here. And you have to balance that into your thought process. Um, otherwise, you'll get this idea that, that God is like that. If I'm, if I'm really bad, God punishes me. If I'm really good, He's going to reward me. And, and that's just not how it works. Um, we live life out here. We, we have, as, as believers, the, the wonderful knowledge that we're His forever. But ultimately, how we get from here to there is on God. And there's no clear-cut answers that it all goes your way. In fact, if you think it's all going to go your way, you're going to be highly disappointed. I found it almost never goes my way. Now, every once in a while, he'll do that, but it was his way anyway, and I just figured it out. <laughs> and so it just felt like my way, but it was always... Anyway, you get the idea, right? So here's the problem. So when the disciples see this man born blind, they just figure he's done something wrong. And that's the way they look at everybody. Understand, that's the pervasiveness of this dark morality. If somebody's doing good, they think they're blessed by God. If somebody's not doing good, they think they're being punished by God. And they interpret everything that way. See, the, the, the converse is just as bad. There's a lot of people who look really blessed that, that haven't done a good thing ever. <laughs> In fact, just the opposite. And so the, it falls apart very quickly. If you really think it through, it doesn't hold up. But, but even, you know, all the discussions Jesus had with the disciples about rich people, and they go, what do you mean the rich people can't make it? Because they thought the rich people were the ones that were blessed by God. He said, that's not the issue. So, so that's what's happening. And so they asked this question, was it something that he, he's going to do? That he's being punished for? Some of his parents didn't. Jesus answered, neither. What, what he's here, is, what you're going to see in him is God moving in his life. And what I would tell you is that all of us, in, in this fallen world, uh, on this broken planet, ultimately become a backdrop for the ultimate blessing of God in our lives. See, it's, it's, it's always about what He can do in us. Always. In each and every situation. And so, in this particular situation, Jesus heals the blind man. And, you know, like I said, I think it's funny with the mud pies, He does the whole thing. And Jesus healed different people... See, again, we, you know, and I think he does it this way on purpose. Because if we could make a formula for God, we, oh, and we love that. And trust me, there's a bunch of them out there. 
the other thing you've hopefully learned by now. God does not operate on formulas. Because what works once almost never works a second time. Try it. Because otherwise you'd think you had it figured out. And you would begin to assume that if you did A and B, God will always do C. And, and you can do A and B all you want. God will do C maybe once. And then he does D and Y and Q. There's no order to it. And so you quit doing A and B and you try something else and that works and you hang on to that. And it's, it's, it's not a formula. God isn't figured out by formula. You're in relationship with God. It's like, it's like thinking that you could come up with some formula for somebody you're in relationship with to always get what you want. It doesn't work. And so, I think when it comes to healing, because couldn't, couldn't Jesus have just said, see? He could have. He's done it before. But then people would think there was a formula. Oh, someone's blind. You just say, see, and they see. Now he throws in the mud pie thing. In another place, he, in one place, he spits on a guy's tongue. That's gross. I think. Again, you've got to be real good with results if you're doing crazy stuff (laughs) the only people I ever spit on are the ones in the front row and I don't do it on purpose and none of them getting healed or nothing it's just happening (laughs) Bill's figured that out that's why he's a hundred yards away from me so (laughs) you'll notice it's usually pretty empty real close Okay, so, and so this guy's not like he could see and went blind, which is one thing, which is still pretty miraculous if they heal that guy, but nobody, apparently, they don't know of any case where somebody born blind is then healed and can see. This is a big deal. And so the people know this guy, and at first they're like, it can't, they're so, that can't be the same guy, but it's the same guy. No, it looked like him, it's the guy. Um, the parents come in, yeah, that's him, but you know, they, they, uh, <laughs> Poor parents are so freaked out about kicking out of the synagogue that they don't even really, like, really own him. Yeah, that's our son, but we don't know how it happened, and don't ask us anymore. We don't know. Pretty sure it's him, though. Um, so everyone's amazed, and they, they, so they bring this guy to the Pharisees to see what, okay, because what, this is hard to refute. Here's a guy that couldn't see, he's now seeing. Pharisees, what are you going to do about this? We know you don't really care for this guy, but this is pretty top drawer stuff. What are you going to do? You find it interesting that one of their main immediate things they grab a hold of is that it can't be from God because it happened on the Sabbath. Do you see how stuck they are? In their, because they had all these Sabbath rules. They had hundreds of them. And, and, and Jesus has to, you know what Jesus says ultimately about the Sabbath? Guys, you got it backwards. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is in place so people rest. Not, not, and, and the Sabbath is in place. Do, do you, you know, it said God, cre- six days he created and the seventh day he rested. Do you think God really needed to rest? Of course not. Why did he do it? He modeled it for us. We need to rest. And yet, do you know what? Most of us don't, but that's a whole other issue. We'll go into that some other time. Here's the deal, though. So Jesus heals this guy and it's on a Sabbath. And that's what they're mad about. He's already talked to him about this. Because remember, he said, listen, if, if it's time for a kid to be circumcised, because there was a ritual about eight days, and that falls on the Sabbath, you do it, don't you? Well, of course we do it. But, but someone can't be healed on the Sabbath? So their logic falls apart quickly, but it's because they can't get out of this paradigm that they're in, this, this box. And so 
what they do is then they're unable, a bunch of them are unable to see the power of God at work. They have to dismiss it. And the underlying part of the story, why John writes it, is the question really is, in the story, who's really blind? That's the, the, if, you, that, if you want to know what this chapter is about, John is making a point that Jesus made. Who really is blind in the story? So what they end up coming up with, this is verses 13 through 25, is that, that even though the guy should give glory to God, Jesus is a sinner. That's, that's, that's their ultimate conclusion. Well, give glory to God. But this guy, this Jesus, he's a sinner. Who's blind? Because here's a group of people entrenched in sin that they can't see, claiming that the only one ever without sin is a sin. Who's really blind? And this is where the, the morality begins to come in. See, the dark and the light morality. That's why we need to see the difference of what's happening. And he goes on in verses 26 through 34. And, and because the irony continues, as John writes it out, because the man born blind can see better than the Pharisees, who've always had sight. Because he, he has an ability to see the truth better than any of them who should... who are trained, who knew the Bible, who should have been able to see God at work. And when he says, I love what he said, when he says, now that's remarkable to them sort of blowing Jesus off as a sinner because they don't know who he is or where he's from. He says, that's remarkable. He, and, and here's this blind beggar talking to the Pharisees. And he says, but God listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And the Pharisees are so mad. See, this hatred thing that keeps stirring up in them, if you question them, if you stir anything up, it goes right to hatred. Not that they're going to look at it or even consider it. Right to hatred. And they hurl insults at the guy. And they kick him out. And, and you know what the one they yell at, what they go to? Listen, you were steeped in sin at birth. They're pointing out their own dark morality. You're a sinner, but you were blind. Don't tell us you're a sinner. That's why you were blind. From birth. Now, see, the, the reality is, and what we have to get to, is that when we begin to get a hold of God's morality, all of us are steeped in sin at birth. So were the Pharisees. It's sin nature. But, but they, they don't see that. And so they... They, they yell at this guy and they say, how dare you lecture us? Who are you to talk to us? You have no value. You have no worth. You were steeped in sin at birth. And, and it's that sort of idea that they have all the time with people. That dark morality has that all the time in darkness. People have no value. People have no worth. Who are you? Get out of me. John nine thirty five through 41. Jesus then encounters the, the healed blind man again. And he reveals to him that he's the Son of Man, which is an Old Testament name for the Messiah. And the man believes him and worships him. He accepts it. So now not only has he, his vision been physically healed, it's been spiritually healed as well. He can now see the truth. He knows the truth. And he worships him. And, and the Pharisees still don't get any of this. The, the blind man recognizes Jesus as the light of the world. The Pharisees don't. And they say, what, are we blind too? They're sort of being sarcastic about the whole thing. And, and Jesus said, you, yeah, you're the ones that are blind. You can't see. And, and unless you open your eyes. See, if they would have just turned to Jesus, the light of the world, their eyes would have been open and they would have seen. But they chose not to. And so they end up steeped in their own guilt, condemned. 
And so they're, they're unable to see the clear illumination of the light of the world, because that's what Jesus is doing. Now, what these interactions do for us, as, as, as a follow-up to these last three chapters, um, is that it reveals the true morality of God. While Jesus never in any way condones sin, Jesus shows us that God reacts to sinners in a far different way than we tend to. The morality that we still often express comes from a very dark, legalistic interpretation of of, um, morality that lends itself to hatred and to rejection of those we consider sinners. It leads to judgment. And here's the weirdest thing. This is what happened to the Pharisees. It leads to the fear of judgment so that you when you're stuck in it, you are unable to ever look at yourself or ever deal with any of the sin in your own life that needs to be healed and, and taken to the cross because you can't acknowledge its existence. And that's the trap that the Pharisees were in. They became blind to their own condition as sinners, which fuels their continual judgment and hatred and cynicism. But the morality of God that's been illuminated by Jesus, the light of the world, is about grace. It doesn't compromise with sin. But see, it never, here's what you've got to get, it never rejects the sinner. If you don't hear anything else through this entire study, you have to know that the grace of God never rejects the sinner. It never does. It never rejects the sinner. The grace of God gives the sinner love and respect and demonstrates that they are a person of worth and value. That's bottom line stuff, guys. If we... It, it, the goal, see, see, you have to get to the goal. The goal of God's morality isn't to condemn, but to rescue the sinner from darkness to bring them into the light. And if we don't, if we just get on the judgment criticism path, we, we never, no one gets out that way. People are loved out by, by being shown that they're of people of value and of worth and that God cares about them. And that the, the, then by the Spirit, they're, they're loved into a relationship with Jesus that leads to the light and ultimately that that ends up with you know Jesus being able to say go and sin no more this this morality reminds us that that we are not superior in some way to the sinner but we share the same condition you have to get that down because the moment you begin to judge people and feel superior in some way because you're in a you think you're in a better spot than they are you've you you've just stepped right into the world of the pharisees you're not you're a sinner Saved by grace. But you share the same condition as everyone else, even those still stuck in it. We have that in common. And, and what that does is that realization then should keep us all from ever being able to cast the first stone. So you think about that if you don't get anything else. Am I, can I cast that stone? I'm only allowed to cast a stone if I've never sinned. Nobody in the room, right? And the only one who ever could actually cast that stone chooses not to. So that's, you have to, the only one who could, Jesus, who never sinned, who would have the authority to cast a stone, withholds it. Because he doesn't come for that. He comes to bring life. He comes to restore life. He comes to give people an opportunity to respond. Now, you know, some people will choose not to, and that's, that's something he'll deal with later. But, but this opportunity for life is what causes people to come 
into relationship with Him. And it's this sort of realization that, that should choose then, that should cause us to choose to follow Jesus out of darkness and in the light. And that's kind of what's happening there in those few chapters in John. And uh, it's 8 o'clock, and I'm done. So uh, if you're watching on the video up there, God bless you guys. If you're up in Williston, bless you guys. We, we love you. Um, and uh, Scott, Pam, Dave, Cindy, everybody else. Um, and they'll take care of the prayer stuff up there. Um, we're going to pray here um, with a prayer request. So we'll see you guys up there in Williston soon. God bless. Okay. Pass me your prayer requests, and uh, I will pray for you and for them.